I'm Will McHenry, the Program Associate at Ponars Eurasia. And with us today is Koresh Schenk, an assistant professor at Nazarbayev University. Koresh, uh, thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. What does the government's approach to immigration tell us about politics in Russia? I think it confirms a number of things that we already know about the Russian political system. Corruption is systemic, it's pervasive. Russian politics functions as a patronage system, and the federal system has a centripetal character. These findings aren't new, uh, but I think what immigration management shows is that devolution of decision-making across the regions is real under certain conditions. Also, that corruption is not practiced by everyone, and it's not the same um, everywhere. And these findings are important because Russia is often presented as beginning and ending with Putin, but the reality is much more complex. We also assume that because corruption is systemic, it's everywhere. Uh, well, it's not everywhere. And I found this very puzzling given how we talk about Russia. But not only does corruption vary, but sometimes I think it actually benefits migrants who are trying to make their way in the Russian system. Well, yes, certainly if, if corruption didn't exist and if migrants had rights and if the rule of law worked, things would be better for migrants. But that's just not the reality in Russia. So I think that getting rid of corruption could actually be really problematic for migrants because of the mentalities associated with bureaucratic rigidity. Often there's an association with um, bureaucratic red tape and increases in corruption. But I think that red tape and rigidity are not always or only a way for bureaucrats to elicit profits. There's also another side to administrative mentalities, and it's what I call the fear of the audit or the fear of reprimand. Uh, bureaucrats want to keep their jobs, they need to meet certain targets, and they need to make their records look a certain way. And if they don't, they can find themselves in trouble or out of a job. And this mentality would not go away if there was a real anti-corruption crackdown, because then the fear would actually be even greater. Bureaucrats would be even more risk averse and decision making on the street level would be even more rigid. For migrants, this would make the system more inflexible and it would take away a number of their problem solving strategies. So if we talk about migration reform, I'm hesitant to start by suggesting anti-corruption measures. Now, the general consensus seems to be that systemic corruption in Russia makes the state weak and unable to modernize. Because Russia isn't acting according to Viberian rules, it's weak, it's backwards, and it, uh, certain outcomes like growth and civil society are inhibited. But if we look at migration control from this perspective, it's really no surprise that my, Russia can't control migration, or in other words, that there's so much illegal migrant migration. Um, but I think it's worth shifting our perspective a little bit and asking, um, not asking why Russia doesn't meet some of these Viberian or rule of law benchmarks, um, but rather asking what is it that keeps the Russian system moving along? Uh, in the migration sphere, what allows the state to balance between really disparate voices in society who call for vastly different immigration policies and different outcomes? Um, because the argument that maintains that Russia is weak and backwards because of corruption and because of patronage, these arguments tend to maintain that Russia is just one step away from crisis. But I think it's actually more interesting to take a page from Migdal's state and society approach and ask, given all of our expectations about Russia, why doesn't it fall apart? Why and how does the state maintain its resilience? Because it is resilient, I would argue. 
Um, I'm sure that part of the answer is authoritarianism, of course, but that is not the end of the story. Part of the answer for how Russia manages has to do with the mix of formal and informal strategies that it uses, including corruption. But we miss this if we're primarily concerned with why Russia doesn't play along with democratic rules or how it's pathological or how it fails to attain the rule of law. Sometimes I think that informality is the new cultural variable in political science. So everyone has a vague idea of what it is, but we don't always know how best to conceptualize it or how to measure its effects. Um, there's a vibrant and growing literature moving beyond problematizing or pathologizing in, um, informality as something backwards and under, underdeveloped. And I think that this literature is uh, showing some real promise. Um, the migration sphere demonstrates really quite poignantly how the function of the system relies on formal and informal practices. And this has important implications for policy recommendations as well, because when we suggest policy reforms, and this often happens in the context of international organizations, um, insistence that effective migration control can only happen in the context of the rule of law, it just isn't realistic in Russia. Because for migrants, the law isn't actually the most important factor. Uh, rather, figuring out what laws are important to follow and which ones can be ignored with relative impunity, this is what's crucial for understanding how migration and migration control actually works in Russia. Since immigration is such a hot button issue around the world, what are some of the challenges of studying immigration politics in Russia? Well, first, it's really exciting and not just a little bit lucky that I ended up studying immigration in a Brexit and Trump age. So immigration has always been important, but now it's clearly getting a lot more attention. And that is, I think, a fortunate consequence of otherwise very unfortunate political developments. But it does indeed come with challenges. Some of these challenges are methodological. So how can we get a clear picture of the migration landscape when there are various voices skewing the picture and in a somewhat closed regime that makes research on the ground pretty difficult. Um, so on the one hand, we have populist rhetoric or political or national accounts, and they tell one story of immigration. International organizations tell a very different story. Um, and because a lot of the research on migration in the Eurasian region is funded by international organizations, it focuses a great deal on the vulnerabilities of migrants and their legal problems from a rights-based perspective. Um, in this context, the most extreme stories rise to the top. If we look for examples of exploitation and risk of migrants, um, we're absolutely sure to find evidence. However, this is a methodological problem and it has normative implications because if we present vulnerabilities and problems as the norm or the average or the mean experience, and it's not clear that they are, then we fail to appreciate the range of migrant experience. And to be honest, we don't know where the kind of median experience lies. But I think that the normal migrant is not one that you find in most reports by international organizations. Most likely the normal migrant is illegal in some way, um, but not necessarily vulnerable and not necessarily without agency just because they don't have formal rights. So depending on their networks, they can solve a whole host of problems. Um, but nailing down this normal is diff difficult um, because of access, migrants are difficult to get to, um, which means that ensuring our sample is representative is really continually problematic. Other challenges with the, the uh, studying migration are theoretical. 
uh, immigration really touches on a number of popular ideas that aren't always theoretically well understood. Populism, securitization, xenophobia, informality, radicalization is a big one of late. Um, we still have a lot of work to do to develop these concept, concepts fully in the Russian case. Um, as a political scientist, I'm in the minority, of uh, the minority of scholars who study migration in Eurasia. On the one hand, this means that I'm informed by a very multidisciplinary group of colleagues, which adds a lot of richness and helps me rethink how political science forms and defends our concepts and our categories. That said, it, I think it's hard sometimes to fit our approach to studying migration in the Eurasian region into a disciplinary framework. Um, the scholarship on migration itself is located on many borders or, mar or margins. It doesn't fit neatly into the mainstream immigration politics because of the area component. It's really, really difficult to interject um, into Western-centric migration discourses because there's this, this assumption that because Russia is authoritarian, this changes what's going on in Russia so fundamentally that it's just not comparable. Um, it also doesn't fit neatly into political science approaches on Russia, which tend to focus either on big politics or on state society relations, which are both certainly relevant for studying migration, but migration processes are not contained in either of these research agendas. Is the experience in Russia really comparable to other immigrant receiving countries? In some ways, no, but in surprising ways, yes. Uh, clearly, the corruption that's so integral to migration management in Russia is incomparable to the Canadian system, for example. But there are a number of issues that drive migration control in Russia that are absolutely relevant for comparative analysis. Struggle for power between government agencies is something that travels across cases. So control over policy areas means control over budgets and other resources. In Russia, migration control has shifted between the Ministry of Health, Ministry of Labor, Federal Migration Services, and the Ministry of Internal Affairs. And at various points, these ministries have lobbied for their preferred policies and for expanding their influence over the migration sphere. This is pretty typical behavior for government, or government agencies, I would argue. Another similarity is how administrative offices function according to a sort of data or target-driven mentality. Um, the fear of the audit that I mentioned hmm. earlier is, isn't unique to Russia, and we've probably all experienced a sort of gatekeeping behavior of bureaucrats in other countries as well. I think that in the Russian context, the administration is there to serve the state and even protect it from the public. Whereas in the West, it's modeled on a sort of public service ethos. But in both cases, research shows that agencies change their behavior to meet targets that are set out by the government and even massage numbers to present their agencies in a positive and compliant light. Finally, I would say that informal signals and choices are not unique to Russia. In all migrant receiving countries, we see that governments make choices about which policies to prioritize, to fund, and to enforce. In this sense, regardless of the laws on the books, there are informal priorities that produce a sort of permissible level of illegal immigration. And these things are not a function of regime type, of Russia's authoritarianism or the West's democracy. These are issues of state function or of structural conditions. I think that not only does this show that the Russian experience of migration control and the migrant experience within the Russian system is really important in the context of world migration, it also helps to challenge the idea that Russian politics is solely about the politics of authoritarianism. 
Uh, we certainly have a lot more work to do to interject the Russian case into more mainstream migration studies, but I think there's a number of promising avenues for developing really relevant theoretical links. Fascinating. Chris, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Okay, thanks so much.